So what I thought would be quite cool to do is uh, on page nine, we're going to go from the top just halfway. So we're going to finish uh, before we look at the end. But um, as I'm speaking, I thought it might be quite cool for you guys to ask questions. So we've got questions uh, at the end, which we're going to go through as well. But I think be, I just get a sense that God wants us to interact and um, that will probably make up some of the night as well. So obviously I'm the panel <laughs> tonight. Um, but I guess I, I, like tonight I see this as an opportunity because you know I'm I guess carrying a lot of this stuff and, and he's exposed and revealed this to me and I just think it's an opportunity for you guys to ask questions um, of what has been what is tonight and what we'll share. Um, I'm quite keen to hear from you guys, you know, like, and to get really real, like really real. Because, um, you know, what happened this morning has been building and um, God showed me about four or five weeks ago, everyone on their faces um, just in repentance, which is a position of power and strength, not weakness. Um, because of the reality and the enormity of what he wants to do within us. It's going to require that type of response. So this morning was the start of much to come. It's not a one-off. God wants to do that. And, and it was almost like I saw like a quarter of the prophetic picture realized, but it was only a quarter because this is profoundly deep and mysterious. The life that we are to live is not natural. And, you know, it's, um, it's definitely supernatural. Um, and it's hard to have a reference for it if you don't have a reference for it. You know what I mean? It's like we know our natural lives, but we're called to know the supernatural life. And I'm not just talking about seeing signs and wonders. I mean... Knowing him as a supernatural life, loving like him as a supernatural life. We're so caught up in our flesh at the, the you know, the glitter, the glam, the loudness, and yet God's into that stuff. But He starts in the quietness of, can you actually do the basics well? You know, are you faithful? Are you diligent? Yeah, and those are the things we can just at times just blow right past. And yet that's where he's found. And so I just sense there's just a real opportunity for you guys, for us to just grapple, dialogue, and uh, ask questions. You know, if there's things you're not sure about from this morning, ask, seek understanding. That cool? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity tonight that we get to hear your voice, a word that builds, a word that is already written a reality that already exists and it's waiting for the church to discover it. We thank you, Father, that you conceal things from us but for us. We thank you that you're the God that it's your glory to hide things. You love the hide-and-seek reality. You love because you know people that seek are people who love and that's what you're looking for. So, Father, tonight we are here. We're postured. We're positioned. We want to know you more. It's Holy Spirit. I know you're 
will do what you've been commissioned to do, which is to lead us into the fullness of truth, life in Jesus. So we ask you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So page nine, right at the top, and this is a profound passage that God has opened up to me years ago and just continues to. And, you know, there is a reality within it that we are to know and come into because the man that said it was also the man that said, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. And you can't imitate Paul unless you're in Paul's process. You can try to copy him. You can try to understand what he says in the mind, but you'll never be able to imitate the life he lived unless you're in his process. And Paul is a prophetic picture of a son who is in the way of Jesus. He's in the life of Jesus. He's in the truth of Jesus. Personally, I believe he's probably outside of maybe Enoch, the closest we've got to what true perfection is in Christ and true maturity. You think about his life, and especially what we're about to look at, what sits before that in 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 4, and what he's saying and what he's testifying to, because he's not, you know, this whole thing between teaching and testifying, really we testify, we don't teach. Jesus is the teacher, he teaches, we testify of transformation. Now you'll read in here, Paul says, I'm a teacher, but what he's really doing, he's testifying to the work that's happened within him. He's not teaching. And that's what we are to do. We are to testify of the transformation of the life that Christ is doing in us. See, that's very different than going on the street and just teaching about a guy who did something, but that's not within you. But when you go out and you testify of what he's doing in you, Everyone who hears can hear the authenticness of the change as opposed to you just talking about a guy that did something for you 2,000 years ago rather than a work that's being performed in you and you testify of life. So when you read Paul's letters, he's testifying. It's his confession of the work that's being done in him. And so he then says, imitate me. And so it's impossible to imitate that unless you're in the way of Paul, which is just the way of Jesus, which is the way of Peter, which is the way of life. It's called Christ, Christ crucified. So he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Wow, it's a statement, isn't it? How many of you can testify for your outer man decaying? <laughs> and yet we're supposed to be able to testify to the inner man being renewed day by day. So if I said, how many can testify of the inner man being renewed day by day? Week by week. Thank the Lord. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? Day by day. And you see Jesus say daily partake, doesn't he? It's not once a week. It's not once a month. It's not when you're feeling good about me. No, we partake daily of this manna from above. And so you see Paul saying, therefore, do not lose heart. Though this outer flesh suit is decaying, guess what? Good news. Because of what Jesus has 
accomplished and what he has made available, our inner man, which is our spiritual being on the inside, is going from strength to strength to strength in the spirit. Kirk and I were talking about before, and we were just talking about, you know, when I got passionate this morning, I said, it's not frustration, it's love, power coming out. It says, violent men take the kingdom by force. It's not passive. Christianity is not passive. If you're a passive follower, you'll be swallowed up by this earth because the culture of the earth is not passive. It is highly aggressive, which means it must be defended with a highly aggressive spiritual way, isn't it? So it's not flesh getting aggressive, but it's aggressive in the spirit. It's power in the spirit. Now that is still humble. So it's humility and authority go hand in hand. But it's passionate and you're wrestling with principalities that are much higher than earth. And when you know you're dealing with these things, then the authority of you of Christ comes out. So he's saying we go from strength to strength, being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The entire context of 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 is about the glory of God getting in the church. It's about God's glory, that Shekinah glory that was in the Ark of the Covenant. You know, when the man touches it, psst, gone. You know, that glory, that power is to be in us. So we say that saying God doesn't share his glory with another. You heard that? And Jesus says, I give you my glory. So there's both are true. God will not share his glory with another, but hey, my children, here's my glory. What an honor and a privilege that is, and yet we're to be vessels of glory. So how does the glory get upon us on the inside of us so we're always going from strength to strength? Because that's the reality, isn't it? That's what it says daily. We're to experience in transformation daily because we're partaking and drinking of him. So how on earth does that glory, which takes us from glory to glory on the inside, how does that happen? Paul knows how it happens because he testifies to it. And 2 Corinthians 3 tells you that it doesn't happen in ink. So it doesn't happen to you going along to Bible school and studying and trying to write all the answers down and tick all the T's and all the I's and all that and have your nice little presentation on your page. There is nothing wrong with taking notes. But that's not how this gets on here. The Holy Spirit writes it. What does that feel like? Could you tell me? If God gave Jeremiah a prophetic promise and said there's going to come a time, not this covenant, but this covenant, where the Holy Spirit is going to literally write the word on your heart and your mind so they will not need any man to teach them to know the Lord. They will know the Lord. Who is removed out of that picture for a time? Us before we get put back in the picture. You see, what we do, we look to man generally, don't we? We look to man for all the answers instead of looking to the Holy Spirit. So there is a prophetic promise for you and I where the Holy Spirit is going to be our teacher. 
and he daily is going to engrave the word of the word of God on our hearts and our minds. This is you can see this in Hebrews. You can see a number of the passages with these promises, and this is what Paul is referring to. So there's this glory going to be embedded, imparted into our hearts and minds. What do you think a church looks like and what does it know when the Holy Spirit takes the word of heaven, the eternal word, and goes to work in your heart? What is on the inside of you is the same life that's in the inside of Christ because that is Christ in you because Christ is the word. He's changing the way you think so you have his mind. That means you'd never have a demonic thought again because the mind is being changed. It's not changed and then flicked back. Once the mind is renewed, it has a brand new way of thinking, yeah? So you no longer have that thought that you once had because the mind has been renewed. So if you have negative thoughts around who you are and he renews your mind and shows you who you are, you live from that renewed mindset. So all the issues around identity, they're gone. I come to heal the broken heart. I come to renew the mind. Do you think if that's happening, you're going from strength to strength? Yes, so your life is the reality of the prophetic promise. You are becoming Christ-like. The word is becoming flesh living in you. That doesn't mean you are God, big G, but you are becoming Christ-like, literally like Christ. You are becoming a kind of people, my people, who then are able to demonstrate my eternal life Where? On earth. That is profoundly deep, is it not? But simple. And can be known through the agency of the Spirit. Not through the agency of flesh and blood. So a man or woman can only prophesy, declare, speak forth of a reality that's been revealed, but I can't give you what I know. So I can't give you the life that's in here. I know I've come into a measure of the life, well, I know all of the life in here, and I'm still coming into life in here because I do not yet know as I ought to know. So I prophesy in the hope that you can hear And this reality becomes your reality. So you could come up here, grab this, I could sit down and you have a turn. Then the next person comes up to the measure of the knowledge you have and we all start prophesying and preaching what is finished because the Holy Spirit is writing what is finished on our hearts and minds. That sounds like discipleship, eh? This is what it all is. See, it's not just sharing good thoughts or good ideas. It's actually releasing the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So that's what Peter Paul also said. That's why he wrote 13 books. The man was in so much of the revelation of Jesus Christ in his heart and mind, God entrusted him with 13, 14 books. That's some sort of knowledge, isn't it? And that's why he's able to say momentary light affliction. Well, what's he talking about? Well, he tells you in the scriptures before this. 
He's being beaten from pillar to pope. He's going through all these things. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. And he's able to say, in light of this glory that he says here, this is eternal weight of glory that's being produced beyond all comparison. Nothing compares to this glory. So all this stuff the man is going through is for the purpose and it's actually producing within him an eternal weight of glory because he chooses to allow it. And this is where in sufferings for Christ, God can do such an eternal work that you actually thank him for the trial and the tribulation. Is that part of our understanding? You see, most people run when bad stuff happens. God say, what are you running from? I've allowed it to happen to produce an eternal weight of glory in you because you weren't in it. So I take the circumstance and the situation and I allow it to do a work because you choose me in it. And through it, because you'd never go here, you'd never go here if I don't allow things to happen. Because it's just not in your nature to go there. You want to run from those stuff. He says, no, run to me. And let me lead you by the hand through it. So you can have this eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. There's nothing that compares to it. So the life that's in Christ is in you and I, and it's being formed over time. And so to the measure you have the revelation of Christ, the formation of Christ, you're able to genuinely live. And you want more and more and more because when you taste of that stuff, it is so good. Do you know you can eat the same food continuously and never get bored of it in him? You get a bit sick in the natural, don't you? You, know, you find an amazing donut, whatever. We found these amazing donuts. Well, Danny found them and uh, she came home and tempted me with them and I succumbed. And, <laughs> and you taste it and you go, oh, I want another one of those, I want another one of those and you know, sometimes you know, if, you, if you actually don't have them all the time, you really look forward to having it again. But if you were to eat it every day, you get sick of it, but it's, that's not the eternal word. You can talk about the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and it never gets boring because the layers to which of that one nugget is endless. And that's why I go, oh, why do we always talk about the same stuff? It's because, well, we're not, but we are. But it's him. And if you actually know what's being said, you're never not asking for it again. You don't get bored when you know what's being spoken. When you're eating it, it's the most beautiful food to eat because you're eating Christ. Because it produces life. It's not just eating and nothing. If I eat and drink, I have life in me. Who wants eternal life? Who wants more of it? Who wants it every day? You can have it. How much do you want? How much are you willing? So this is what he's saying here. It's incredible. And don't lose heart. Like there's a warning, isn't it? Don't lose heart. There's an encouragement. Don't lose heart. Do you know when things happen, don't lose heart. When you're persecuted for standing up for Christ, don't lose heart. He knows something, doesn't he? Don't lose heart when actually what is written is going to happen starts to happen in your life. Do you know if you are godly, you will be persecuted? This is what this literally says. And Matthew 5 calls it a blessing. An absolute blessing. Those who are persecuted for righteousness 
Matthew 5, 11, 10 or 11. I think it's in Timothy that says the godly will be persecuted. So if you are living a godly life, you will be persecuted by everyone around you who's living to the flesh. He said, consider it pure joy. So he knows, so he says, when this happens, don't think it's wrong. It will happen. Now I'm talking about godly offense, not when your flesh does something silly and people come at you. Okay, so everything in context, the true suffering for Christ is when you're living for the truth. So when you're living for the truth and the truth is in you, you will suffer for Christ by those in the flesh who don't like who you are, what you say, who you're becoming. So when you release the fragrance of the knowledge of God, which is 2 Corinthians 3 or 4, and people go, they'll either go, wow, that's an aroma of life. Or an aroma of death. That's not on you which one. You just to release the fragrance because the fragrance, the knowledge of him is coming out of you. Cool? So then he goes on, he says this, while we look, I love this, while we look not at the things which are seen, (laughs) but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, But the things which are not seen are eternal. How much of your time is spent looking at the things which are seen compared to the things which are not seen but seen? Good. You're like, that's impossible, Greg. That's right. (laughs) It is impossible, isn't it? You cannot look into the unseen in your humanity. You have no capability to see into the unseen. So who do you need? The Holy Spirit. Which comes back to how well do you know the Holy Spirit and how well is he opening up the unseen realm? See, he is the one that puts the key in the lock, turns it, opens the door and says, have a look at that. So Paul is saying, we don't look here. We do not take our reference point from here. Jesus says that in John 5. He says, make sure your discernment or your judgment is true discernment. He says, you guys discern in appearance. You've got no discernment when you do that. You have to discern in the unseen through hearing. See, God's given me a gracing to hear when the word is spoken, when it's just man's words. And people can be speaking and quoting all the stuff, and I go, that's not the word. So to the measure I'm in the word, I hear that word. Does that make sense? So I don't listen to words. I close my eyes and I go, I listen to the word. I listen to the frequency, because I'm not listening to English. I'm hearing the spirit being described through English. And I go, that's the word of my father because I've received it. If I haven't received it, I go, I can hear it because it's the same frequency, but I don't yet understand it, but I know it's my father. And there's times when you go, that's not him at all. It's someone's version of him that they genuinely think is, but they've actually understood and they've taught themselves. And it can be technically correct.
but it's still not the word. Because the word is a spiritual substance. It's not man's ability to understand and then communicate something. And that's what we need to hear and see. But it has been concealed from us. So Paul knows all this stuff because Paul used to be Saul who tried to access life through the flesh. That's why he's also a prophetic picture of a son who's trying to access life through the flesh. He has both, see, because he was predestined before he was ever born, correct? Just like you and I, correct? So Saul, don't think Saul as someone you're not. He is you. Because he is flesh, but he was called to be a son. Isn't that how we all start? So we are all Saul's. And he wants us to be all Paul's. So how do you how did Saul transition to Paul? How do you, as Saul, transition to Paul? You can't skip his process. You have to go through his process because he is you. You are flesh, born flesh. Saul was born flesh. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was born of the tribe of Alanilian Simnor. <laughs> Same flesh. Okay? I was a scouser of all scousers, the footballer of all footballers. <laughs> he was of Saul of Tarsus, of this and of that. He had religious knowledge. I had football knowledge, but it's all the same knowledge, really. Wasn't doing him any good, wasn't doing me any good, but he thought he was in something, but I've never thought that because I wasn't into the religious system. I'm of the same kind as Saul. You are too. So how do you go from Saul to becoming Greg of Christ? Christ, Christ crucified. Well, that's outside of my ability as well. That's not on a mental decision. That's Saul again, see? I mentally agree with what you did. Great, but that's not enough to take you from Saul to Paul. That's not what happened to Paul. Paul didn't go, I mentally agree with that now. What happened? He received the living Christ in him. So the living Christ pierced Saul and put him to death. I, Saul, have been crucified with Christ. I, Saul, flesh, will no longer live. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who crucified me. I've been set free from me. Now I'm able to enter into this life of the Spirit, truly abiding in the Spirit, seeing in the Spirit, hearing in the Spirit, knowing what is concealed from other people. So didn't he go back and preach to the Israelites and didn't they want to kill him? And didn't he try to say, but remember me, you know me, I was one of you. And they are vehemently opposed to the man they were vehemently for. What happened? They didn't just wake up and have a bad day. He got radically changed. And then his heart was to go back to who he was. He said, I'd give my entire life that my brothers and sisters in Christ would know what I know, but I can't. That's love, isn't it? And so then he writes his reality. All you're reading when you're reading Paul is his testimony. I'm going to testify of the work that Jesus has done in my life is what he's saying. It is not a theological exercise. It's not something you intellectually comprehend. He's just declaring what life in Christ is for him. 
And he turns around to the church and says, guys, imitate this. It's amazing. And then God sends apostles, prophets to be part of that, to help all that system work, teachers, pastors, evangelists, gives the other gifts, words and knowledge, faith, all these things serving to raise up a poor kind of people, which is just a Christ-like people. Out of the earth, unhinged. And he says, guys, we should be seeing things that others can't see. We should know things that people don't know. We should be partaking of dimensions that they haven't got a clue of because we're not of that world, we're of this world. And Paul said, I freely share them with you, no cost. I don't charge $2,000 to come to your church and speak. Because it's not mine. How on earth can I charge for something that's not mine? I don't know, but we do. And then we justify it away. Because it helps me then go somewhere else. Why don't you just trust in God? That's what Paul did. God backs everything as God. God backs those he sends. This is the challenge, see? The difference between the institution and the true kingdom. So he wants to raise up us as a kingdom people who can say, I see things in the unseen. I know things I didn't know. I'm in a life that I wasn't in. Man, I used to say this. Now I say this. And you know what? There was this covering, covering that because God saw the heart and the intent was right, but the direction was a bit off. But because the heart was right, he revealed it because he knew the heart was right. It's like a beautiful, loving father and mother all wrapped up in one that nurture their children when they say things and do things and lie and do all these things and he covers and he continues to encourage and point us in the right direction. I just think this is fascinating while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So eternal, eternal life is Christ. Christ gives eternal food. So come here. I've done the miracle of the feeding of the 15,000, not primarily to feed 15,000 people. Don't stop at the miracle. Please come and partake of the miracle. Come and eat of the miraculous food that you can't get in fish and bread. Come and eat me. That's what he's really doing. He does the miracle to draw you. He heals you to draw you. He releases you to draw you. He heals your mother or father to draw you. Everything he, he does is a testifying work to draw you to himself. Come and learn from me. But what happens, we get caught up in the signs and the wonders and the miracles and we start worshipping them. And we don't come to him. So then we need another miracle, and we need another miracle. And when life turns to custard, 
Ah, we freak out because we weren't eating the right food because we didn't come and stay. We just came to him for what we wanted, then we left. Thanks, got what I wanted, see ya. No, he goes, I want to bless you with that, but now I want to build you. There's a massive difference between being blessed and built. A lot of Christians only want the blessing, and they run from the building. <laughs> but see, people that run from the building, when the, when the torrents come, what happens to the building? But that's an opportunity to be built. So when your building falls over, it's not the end, it's an opportunity. Greg, you're built on dodgy foundations. Don't do that again. See, you're on the floor. And I want to build you and I want to erect you so when the pressure comes, you stand and you testify of the work that I'm doing in you. And so much of this is because you're seeing the food in the unseen realm. So the picture of the end defines your beginning, how you run. There's a race that's already set. I'm running in it. I've trained for it. I'm training for it. I'm eating. I'm drinking in an alignment to it so I can finish it. Questions? Let's take a pause. There's a microphone somewhere. Sina, my assistant. (laughs) She may even have the first question. No, it is a constant work. So it says, be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect, Matthew 5. What he's saying is, be mature like my heavenly father is mature. Okay. So if you had 100% of completeness in Christ, how close do you want to get to being completely mature? Okay. So... What you have to understand is the process of salvation is an event and a process. Okay, I make you perfect by my blood. Now you've got to become perfect. Okay, So I've given you everything to life and godliness that you need to become perfect. I've washed your slate clean. I have forgiven your past, present, and future sin. So I have justified you. Tracking? You are perfect in my sight. Now you have to become perfect because your mind doesn't think like me. Your heart is un- has unbelief in it. You live opposite to me. So now I want to go to work in that area of your life, which is called your soul. So I save your spirit. My spirit comes into your spirit. And now my spirit with my truth are going to go to work in your soul. And there, with your agreement and your surrender, I'm going to mature and perfect you into my likeness. So then your body will just do what it's been destined to do. It'll be able to love people. It'll be able to give. It'll be able to pray. It'll be able to lay hands on the sick. It'll prophesy. It'll see visions. It'll dream dreams. So out of your physical manifested body will come the life of Jesus Christ, which is in 1 Corinthians 11 and Romans. How cool is that? So Christ within you, being matured and growing through revelation of spirit and truth in you, enables you to walk in the exact manner of Jesus Christ. That is the process of maturity 
and you go, how long have I got? Another 40 years. I got another 40 years to mature to the fullness of the stature of Christ in me. When I physically die, I will get a glorified body, which is brand new. So the goal is maturity will enable me to live a mature life here, won't it? The bride will be mature. This is why the number one thing is the bride. It's about your maturity. We're so focused on function, we miss fellowship. Fellowship defines your ability to live out the function you've been called to live. So we're all chasing function, but we can't yet love. Well, that's an issue. I can lay hands on the sick and raise them the dead, but I can't do the number one thing. God wants me to raise the dead because that's part of the whole deal, but he wants me to be able to love him and others first. So it is a complete work. It will always be a work. We will always be in transition because God is going to perfect the work he started. But how does he perfect it? Through the spirit of truth. But you've got to surrender and you've got to let him. And that's the massive part of the whole thing is that we don't let him because we want to stay in control because we don't know what the other side looks like. And you need to trust. And if you don't trust, then you don't go anywhere. And this is why he wants to open up his realm so you can see and have faith, not trust. Because if you've got faith, you can see it. If you can see it, you can live for it. But if you can't see it, then you need to trust in what he's saying. Does that help? Is that clear? Can you hear process and all that? Great question. You can ask me personal questions if you want to. Um, I like the name Enoch. Um, so transition for Enoch. Um, and obviously we're privileged, and this is on the, the journey that I've been on, you know, Ananias, and I love I love the transitions of like, you you start to read God's word and then it's you, you know it's hidden in there because you're like I heard of Enoch when I was a child but now that I'm older I realise that Enoch um, dodged the process like he's obviously up there so my question is as Paul went through what he went and Enoch went through what he went. How do you feel? Um, yeah, how do you feel about his process entering into, and then also the beautiful process of how Paul enters into is the question I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's the same thing because it says by faith Enoch, and Paul said by faith I live in Jesus Christ. So this is this is the beauty of God, isn't it? It's like he takes a man and it says by faith Enoch was pleasing to God. Who wants to be Enoch? <laughs> but I'm not. I'm Greg. So as much as I can admire that and go, wow. He, but it says by faith. And there's not a whole lot taught about him. So it's hard to go, well, he did this, he did this. But what I do know is it says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not, sorry, and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness 
uh, that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So that was like Abel too. The difference between the offering was by faith. So Abel, by faith, offered a sacrifice. This is where okay, what we talk about faith, haven't we? This is the kicker. So faith is the key because same with Paul. I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the same guy Enoch was living in. And God determines what's going to happen. So I don't know the full answer to that because God's God and I'm not. It's like, well, well done, Enoch. <laughs> Good on you, brother. <laughs> um, but the key is by faith. So it's pleasing by faith, everything by faith. It says, you know, Noah was shown by faith what was hidden. So this whole reality of why faith, not blind faith, but knowledge. So when you have faith, knowledge, you live in accordance to the knowledge and you're very pleasing in his sight because you're living in an alignment to God's way. That's really simple but profoundly deep. Yeah. So if you can see God's way, if you know God and know his way and live in accordance to that, aren't you being faithful and obedient to his will? He blesses that. He's pleased by us. So for whatever reason, he says, well done, Enoch, your time's up. Shunk. Your name was written and your time is up. Whoop. Sorry, you've got to live a bit longer. Not because one's bad, the other one's done something. God has chosen all of our time and days here. You know, it's a bit like when John and Peter, and they're walking, and Peter's more concerned about John instead of himself, what Jesus is saying. Well, what about that fella? Did I talk about that guy? Don't even worry about that guy. Why are you worried about that guy? Why are you trying to justify yourself out of this right now? Just worry about what I'm saying to you. See, that's what we naturally do. Oh, does he have to go through this as well? (laughs) That's what we do, you know? It's like, don't worry about that. I'm going to be with you. Is that enough? Does that help, bro? Yeah. So the key is by faith. That's and then and yet what it's going to look like is going to be different, but similar. Okay. So this is this real challenge when people hear. You mean it's not about an individual thing? It's about a body and an individual thing, but the roads all lead to the same place. It's quite complex but simple once you can see it. Trying to articulate at times is really hard because there are works that God has for you and I to do as individuals. There are works he has for us to do as a body. There are flesh things that he's going to get you to do as well. Meaning, I don't mean your flesh. He's going to ask you to do certain things that he's not going to ask others to do. You know, you're going to be a CEO, but that is separated from the kingdom of God, but because the kingdom of God is operating in you, you're going to be an ambassador from the kingdom of God to go works in a workplace, and you're going to release the kingdom of God in your workplace as well as being the greatest CEO in the natural business sense. So you're two people in one, and you need to know how to apply both because you don't sit there at a board meeting going, uh, well, uh, the way of heaven is blah, 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 blah. And you just, now, God might give you him, God might give you divine strategies for your business, but you've got to know how to have set your time agendas. Okay? You need to know how to manage yourself. You can't just go, God will sort it. You know what I'm trying to say? 
So you need to apply yourself and operate with wisdom, but you need to be in both. And one defines the other, you know? And so, and this, I think we're going to get to this, where it talks about ultimately, though, it starts with a body. We want to start at being about individuals, okay? So, yes, individuals get saved. Then very quickly, all those individuals need to be part of a family. So he saves you as an individual. It says, it's no longer about you. It's about me. Well, I quite like it being about me still. <laughs> what well, ain't about you. It's about you being part of a nation called Israel now. So now very quickly, we need to transition through revelation from being about me to you, us. Okay, so me to us. Okay? And the quicker the church transitions, the easier everything becomes. But you get a whole lot of people who are still trying to find the individualistic thing. You get individualism in the body of Christ, and that's what we've got. So 30,000 denominations later, some believe in the spirit, some believe in this, some believe in the gifts, some believe in this, this is this, this is what that's called division. And we're called to be one. And we're supposed to be seeing all these stuff from the unseen realm being the direct reflection and representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. That's a massive challenge. Question, Vera. I think it's a question. Um, so it's kind of a comment question. How important is it that, you know, because the, the Bible says the host is cheering us on, how important do you think it is for, for us to encourage one another and cheer each other on? And I'll tell you why. I'm I'm asking this. You know how okay, we're individuals, but we also are a body. But sometimes our processes can look quite different from one another. And having walked this for a long time, I've experienced um people kind of making a judgment while you're on that process and on that growth continuum type thing (laughs) yeah so how do we apart from having your own personal relationship with the Lord where you can see things through his perspective how do you think we could be a congregation that understands that and not you know be more encouraging then not. The challenge in all this starts at your individual relationship and your individual knowledge of the Christ that you have. If you don't have that, then you're going to struggle to live out what you've just heard. So this is the thing. Every single thing is based on your true knowledge. And that's where you live from. Because that's going to define the encouragement or not. Okay? So encouragement is always obviously lifting up and putting courage in. And so you call people out into the promise of how Jesus sees them. So it says in 1 Corinthians that we're never to address one another anymore from the flesh perspective. You're always called to, I'm called, I'm looking at Cassidy, to call into the Christ in Cassidy and call it out of her. Now she might disagree with what I say. I don't believe that. I don't believe I'm a son of God. 
That's a problem, isn't it? So I need to encourage and keep prophesying and prophesying and prophesying and prophesying in the hope that she hears, gets revelation, and then goes, you know, I am the son of God. Cool. Now, what happens in between that time where I'm saying and she's saying she's not? There may have to come another encouragement word where it's a rebuke and a correction. Is that still heard as encouragement, though? Because while she's in process, she might hear, that's not encouragement, and all of a sudden, division. So the challenges for every single person is in your individual revelation of the Christ, because the more you're in that, you know how to live all this out. And so you're walking, and you have to model all this, so you firstly have to be teachable. You firstly have to be humble of spirit. You firstly, see, in the first, and it has to be here. And when it's first here, it can really work here. But when it's not first here, it makes it really hard to work here. Because that's where you get two people groups or two individuals where one is happening here and the other one's not. So let's say Peter and John again. What about him? Don't worry about him. What about you? No, what about him? What about you? What about what about you? That's the game Jesus plays. Look in the mirror. I'm tossed, starting with a man in the mirror. Flag the mirror, mate. <laughs> Point it that way. So the challenge is it has to start here. And so when it starts here, you start to see and hear. And you start to know where people are at. And you start to hear because, once again, you know, you, 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 no one's outside of the process. Even if you don't have someone else in your life that's doing this, he is. So he becomes the one that you may not have a physical person in your life that's helping you in discipleship, that's, let's say, in a greater maturity of you. But the Holy Spirit is, isn't he? So you cannot be not in this process. You have to be. Everyone has to be in the process. Okay? And so the more you're in the process with him and he's showing you all this unseen stuff, you start hearing and seeing where people are at. Hold on. So you can actually discern it because you can hear it. So then you can speak from that place into it. You understand? So that's where you're bringing the word of the Lord into that situation because you know what the person needs, not what they want. Now, once again, that's where division and oneness is found because if you go and speak something into someone's life and they don't like it and they disagree with you, but let's say it's the word of the Lord, where do we go with that one? I don't believe you. Okay. That's cool. You don't have to believe I'm here for you to help you. you know what I'm this, is, this is where it's literally won or lost in the body, in my experience. But you have to be living something yourself. But that doesn't mean people understand you. That doesn't mean people receive you. That doesn't mean there's any honor. That's what happened to Jesus. But what you do know is you know how to act now within the scenario of those situations because you have discernment. Okay? And so you're always wanting to speak life, 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 promise, 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 promise. But then you need to address the present. And then we go promise, 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 promise. Man, they're not hearing Present. Okay, let's go again. Promise, promise, promise. You hear the, can you hear the process? So you're always starting with, there's all these trees in the garden, guys. 
you're always starting with faith. You're always leading with faith. You're never leading with fear. You're always leading with faith. You're preaching faith. You're hoping, believing all things. You're enduring all things. You're not counting it against people. They're wrong. And then you wait and you see their reaction. And then you go again. And so it becomes a circular emotional thing where you're hoping, and in your own life too, you know, you're changing because that's got to be number one again. And then you're speaking truth and love from love. And like we know, those words are long-suffering and those words are disciplining, and we need both. But there should be more long-suffering than discipline. So if you're going to patch it in percentages, a loving father will take hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after hit and go, it's time for a disciplining word. And then they hope, and when I say father, father, mother, mature disciple, and then we wait and there's time and we're patient, kind, gentle. And you go again. It's gone. Um, can you talk a bit about the, um, how you see the connection between true humility and faith? Yep. Um, I think you can have both. So you can not be humble and have faith. Yep, you can because faith is knowledge. So the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that he was the Messiah. So he has faith, he has a knowledge, and that's the only thing he really knew. Hence, who am I? He's always asking them, who am I? And yet, the man wasn't humble. And these are the dynamics of God. It's like, how does that work? don't know, but it does. It's like, how can you walk on water and be full of pride? Because you can. Because that's what he did. Um... So you want to be humbled so you can become humble because none of us start humbled, sorry, humble. Because once again, we're talking about a spiritual dynamic. So the spirit of humility is in the unseen realm. Everything of God is in the unseen realm, yeah, because everything is embodied in Jesus and Jesus is literally the unseen one. So when we are all born, he is concealed from us. So humility is in Christ. So I need to get humbled by coming to the end of me so then I actually have a chance of being poor in spirit. Now, the more I am poor in spirit, the more I am hungry for God and God will reveal himself so I have greater faith. So I don't believe you will enter into the fullness of life in Christ while you're still f- full of your own pride, but God can show you things to humble you. So Peter really should have got humbled through the revelation of the Father showing him who the Messiah was, but he actually didn't because he needed someone greater to come into his inner realm and pierce who he was of the flesh 
even though he knew a little bit. So when you're saying he says you have no faith, then he says you have little faith because he's with them and the spirit is not yet in them but with them. So in John it says the Holy Spirit is abiding with you and he will be in you and you also have the Christ walking with you. So these are the mysteries of godliness and the dynamics is you can't fully nail it down and go, there it is, I figured it out. Because as soon as you try to do that, bing, you're trying to be God. It's like Paul. Paul didn't choose God. He didn't say, today's the day I'm going to make a step of faith and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ. God chose him. Now the reality is God chose all of us. But some of us have made a choice, haven't we? Hear the dynamic there? You didn't choose God, God chose you, but then you made a choice. Now some people have never chosen God. So God chose them and then God chose them. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? So God chose Paul, then God chose Paul. Paul wasn't choosing God. God chooses mankind and then mankind chooses God. And both are right. But there's more people who choose God than God chooses them and chooses them. The two become one. Everything's based on oneness. Now what we are really good at is sitting on one and not the other. We are the worst at oneness. We're over on this side of the truth or we're in this side of the truth. And what happens is the people on this side of the truth who are only in one truth, and it's true, and the people over this side of the river, and they're in one truth, and it's true, throw stones at one another. And they build their institution, and they build their institution. And what you're supposed to be able to do is go, that is true, and that is true. And you bring the two truths together, and you have one truth. And that's where you live from. And that's where the few are found. So you get this lopsided over here. It's all about grace. And that's warped. It's all about the truth. And that's warped. And the grace camp hate the truth camp. And the truth camp hate the grace camp. You're so legalistic. You're so loose. And you're so legalistic. And you're so loose. And then the Christ-centered ones come up and go, guys, guys, the peacemakers turn up and they're getting stones thrown at their head, left, right and centre. <laughs> come on, this way. Come this way. And they try to bring both camps together. And they get killed for making peace. But they're dead anyway. And that's where the church is to sit. Not there and there, there. But you've got to have revelation. You've got to know him to be there. That's why you're over there. Because it's your version and it's your version, but it's not his version. Because his version doesn't act like that or that. Because it's concealed. And it needs to be revealed. Does that help? Cool.
So, does God make some people more teachable than others? <laughs> <laughs> or is that something that, like, we do to ourselves? <laughs> you got an issue with being taught? Is that what no. you're saying? <laughs> no, because you know how some people are, like, yeah. stubborn yeah. people? Yep. And then some people are just really relaxed? Yep. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, um. it's a great question. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, once again, no one can come to know God whether you're relaxed or stubborn. Okay, so that's the first thing you can't know Him. No matter what your personality type, how chilled you are, how anal you are, doesn't matter. Okay, but natural personalities and passions can certainly help. In the area of coming to know him. Okay, so the reason why God chose the Israelites because they were stiff necked. He knew in a weird way that they would actually keep the Torah alive. So he picked them spiritually, obviously, but actually their natural DNA as a natural cultural people is to be stiff necked, think they're right. So the scriptures have been preserved through the Jew. And yet how wrong did they get it? That's trippy, eh? So the challenge is, yes, your personality types and all those things can get in the way and they can help you. It's like people that are highly emotional. It's beautiful. can be also the worst thing on the planet. Because it's a bad day, you're up, a bad day, you're down. It's like musicians. <laughs> Serious, man. Creative people have giftings, talents, amazing. Man, are they the hardest to work with because they go... <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> because... The truth has to get in all of us, doesn't it? But it's like competitive people. Okay? Now that really helps me to be competitive. You know? And yet at the same time, it's got in the way of me and God. <laughs> Speaking from the one that is not competitive. <laughs> not really. <laughs> So that's right, just a little. So ultimately, no one can enter into this life without God, no matter what your personality type, no matter your intellect. But yeah, our personality types, our passions, all the things can be a hindrance and be a help. And that's what I love about Paul Saul. So it says he was obsessed with the Torah, with, with the law. And he was trying to prove, he said, by the Torah I was made right. You know, so he, in his own head, he was on a journey, man, I am so into this thing and I'm proving it so right. That's my righteousness. And the problem is he didn't know the righteousness was in Christ. So he was obsessed and God went, watch this. When I just flick that, you watch this man take all that and now apply it to me. That's what you see. But it has to be defined by God. Otherwise, it's just natural and it will get in your way. <clears throat> That's a real good question. 
Can I just read you this other passage, and this might help even stir some other questions. So in Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, it's not in your pamphlet, so write it down. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, because it just once again talks about the ability to see in the unseen and receive things in the spirit that you don't receive physically yet, but you've received the promise in your heart and your mind. So once again, Hebrews eleven thirteen, which we all know about these great people of faith, all these, which are the people that it writes about, died in faith. So you know we talk about in Christ. That's not just I'm in Christ. That's a I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. So I can't just say, oh, I'm in Christ. Okay, if you're in Christ, tell me about the life in Christ. So once again, it's this, I'm perfect, now I need to be made perfect. So it's not just a statement that we go, I'm in Christ. It's a reality, a dimension, an experience of the eternal life being in you. Because every promise is in Christ. So when you say in faith, what we're saying is in the knowledge of what's in Christ. Yeah? So I'm seeing the unseen, what's written, what's finished, what's been spoken before the ages, and I'm seeing it. I'm in that reality. I'm in the knowledge of what you're going to look at called the city that God is building, and that is in me. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Okay, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. This can be very confusing if you don't know what you're in the Spirit reading because it almost says they got them, then they haven't got them. Well, have you got them or not? Okay, so all these died in faith without receiving promises. So what are the promises he's referring to? Because Abraham did receive Isaac, did he not? And that was a promise. So they did receive some promises, but there's these other promises as well that it's talking about. And they say, without receiving them, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. So these promises are in the future, but I've seen them in the spirit and I've welcomed them into my now. So I received Isaac as my son, which was a prophetic promise. And I'm seeing these other promises which are in the distance but I actually receive them now. So just like I had Isaac now, I've got the promise of the future now. So I've got both promises revealed in me, and I'm living in accordance to that. That's what it's saying. Cool? So you may have promises now revealed in you. That's like your Isaac. Okay? But what about the future promises that you have to welcome in via the Holy Spirit that have been already predestined before the foundations of the earth for the church slash Israel because we're part of the commonwealth. We're grafted into these covenantal promises that are in an eternal lifespan. This is what they're saying. Are we tracking? So we are to see in the unseen all the promises that are in the future and bring them via the Spirit of God, revealing them in my heart and mind. So it's temporal promises now, eternal promises now. You bring those two together and you've got one promise. 
the enormity of that is huge, isn't it? Can you come and write on my picture here? Because that's what we're supposed to be seeing. So a promise now would be love. Okay? A promise now would be receiving love in you. Not knowing God loves you, receiving the impartation of how wide, how deep, how high is this love that goes beyond my understanding, but I can experience it. That's a now promise. A future now promise is because of that love in you, you live the kind of life and you're going to marry him. And because you've received that promise now, that's defining love. See the dots? It's very hard to actually fulfill that if you're not receiving love because they're connected, are they not? And yet that very revelation of that, if you don't have love, can stir you to let go of you and find love. Because if he starts showing you this is the purpose for your life and you don't have what you need to live that out, you're in trouble. But you've got an opportunity. So once again, he flips that card because it's not about love first and this. God will do what God does when he wants. Although there is a nice order in him, man, he does what he does. So end, beginning, middle. Why don't you start at the beginning? Would be easier. No, because you need to know the end. But they're going to come into your middle. So when he comes to the disciples and says, come follow me, they've got no idea of the end. See, it, there's no formula, but there are patterns. And so this is like this saying here. So there are things that are promises now, now, and there are promises that are future now. And we are to be in both if we're going to walk accurately while we're here. Okay? Because they define the now. So when you see these people that gave up their lives and wanted a better resurrection and gave away their property and all these things, why are they doing that? Like Literally, what is the motivation to give that up? Because isn't that what most people are living for? Like There must be something so huge that you're seeing and knowing if you're going to relinquish that when that's what the majority of people in life are trying to build. And it's the promises of God. And so you're no longer worried about your life because you realize your life is no longer your own. And you are loving and living for him. And it goes on, it says, they welcome them from a distance, here you go, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So when you start getting this revelation, out of your mouth comes the confession that you are no longer of this earth. You are no longer a citizen of the temporal. So now we're back to the Corinthians passage, which talked about the things that are seen in the temporal and the things that are seen in the eternal. So you're seeing the eternal, which means you're being released from the temporal, and you're saying, I'm no longer, I'm confessing, because of revelation of what I'm looking at, I'm confessing I'm not of earth. And you're not living as an earthling or earthy, you're living as the citizen of heaven on earth. Did you hear that? So it's another citizenship, but you're still on earth. But this realm is in you. So the only thing people can see is the demonstration of your life, can't they? But that doesn't mean they've got your inner realm. 
So then they try and copy your external manifestation and they can't because it said this this morning. It's all coming from the life of Christ in you because you've seen the future promises. And so now you're giving up and we go, oh, is that what we got to do now? We all got to go into home churches. We all got to give away our cars. We all got to give away our house. Oh, that's the latest fad. That's No, 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 no. All that external behavior is coming from the internal revelation of seeing. If you try to do that without revelation, you're going to get very hurt, very offended, and nothing's going to work. And that's what has happened in the body of Christ. Someone had a great idea that we should also do this because it wasn't here. And then there's all this offense and hurt, and people spent years getting over this stuff and never actually enter in and throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so he goes on, he says, they confess they are exiles for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. So this beautiful land is not our country. England is not my home. America, so it's not. They are physical land masses. None of that is our home. Where is our home? 2 Corinthians 5. I long to be at home, but I'm stuck in a body. And although I'm here, while I'm here, although I long to be with you, I will serve you first until the day is called when I go. Is this not the words of Paul? It's more beneficial for me if I stay, but I long to be with you. Now it's even more beneficial for you if I stay, so I can continue to preach to you the eternal purposes so you can hear them. It's what he's saying. And so these people confess and they're looking for a country of their own. And indeed, check this out, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, thought life, eh? Life was so much better back in Egypt. Really? Life was so much better back when I was 21. Really? Was it really that good? Should we go back there and have a look at that? How quickly we forget. Oh, you know, I was earning 150 grand. I had the girls, I had the girl, had the car, became a Christian, lost all that, lost all this, you know, blah, 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 blah. And yet, life in Christ trumps everything if you're in Christ. So you've got to have something to compare it to. See, if you just say, oh, you pray a prayer, but you don't have nothing to compare it to, maybe life was better then. Because you're in a form of godliness, but not the real thing. Because life in God trumps all things. And so you always want to go back. And so he's saying, if they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. So you've got to be able to see it to know there's a better country. Otherwise, you're thinking your own country's cool. That is a... Heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So can you see the heavenly city? Who can tell me what heavenly? Hebrews 3 verse 1 says. 
We're in the same book, eight chapters back. What does Hebrews 11.1 1 say? 3.1, sorry, thanks, Nick. It's in the context of this, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Who wants to go and have a look and yell it out? Hebrews 3.1. So we're called to be partakers of a heavenly calling because there's a heavenly city being built. Are you a partaker of a heavenly calling or an earthly one? Have you heard heaven call of a heavenly calling to free you from earth and raise you up to the calling which is heavenly because there's a heavenly city that's awaiting you? See, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Paul, David, they all saw what I'm saying. And they are cheering you and I on to be part of this kind of people group. But if you can't see it, how are you going to be part of it with them? But like what Vera said, they are encouraging. Are they not? So when you look at Hebrews 12, I love this. Listen, so this is Hebrews eleven thirty nine, And all these having gained approval through their... Okay, so these people were before Christ, Correct. So faith has always been the deal breaker, correct? So when Jesus goes back down into the graves, he preaches the gospel to them. They go, oh, this is the guy that we saw. Correct? Trippy, eh? Hear the word of the Lord. Yes, boom, right now we become one. And now they're actually up there going, come on, you lot. Look at this. And all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They're waiting for us before they can finally receive their entire reward with us. Is the time now, Lord? Is the time now, Lord? They can. So, encouragement. You want to talk about encouragement? You've got living. Is Abraham alive or dead? Right. And what do you think he's doing for you and I? Come on. Interceding, praying, cheering us on. Now look, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, do you think about a team, a cheerleading team? Let us also lay aside as they did every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. It does, doesn't it? Because when you don't know of the country, you're looking over your shoulder going, that was a better place. Just like the Israelites. And let us run with endurance the race that is set, that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this. For consider him who has endured such hostility for love, by sinners against themselves so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, when stuff comes against you because you're living for truth, the easiest thing to do is give up. But when you can see the future and when you know by faith there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, all these incredible people who are nobodies but somebodies are cheering you on, going, come on, come on. Now, there's a little bit of self in there because they're going, until you get here, we can't be made perfect. So come on. 
We ran our race, run yours. We've been called for a heavenly calling. We are to partake of a heaven, divine calling now, today. Do not harden your heart like they did when the word goes out of the macro purpose of God and go, I don't get it. And harden your heart. If your heart is hard, the seed will not take root. And so Paul is an instrument for the New Testament church, which is us. He has been graced with a ministry for the Gentile. Mainly, then the Jew and kings. Peter went to the Jew. Paul went to the Gentile. It's weird, isn't it? You think Paul would have gone to the Jew and Peter to the Gentile. They were both Jews, but one was more of a Jew than the other. One was the highest enchilot in the Judaism system. He went to the Gentile. And the guy that was a fisherman did like, you know, yeah, whatever, nine. (laughs) He went to the Jew. And they spoke and then hoped and loved and then had to put up with everything that came their way. By who? Those they loved. In the hope that those they were preaching would hear. And you see this manifestation, don't you? What do we need to do? Kill them. Run. Hide him. Send them away. (laughs) And it's the same today. Don't think it's no different today. It goes on today. So it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by natural sight. That's why it's about hearing. It's not about seeing first. And once again, God can do what God wants to do. And God can work all that in one massive hit. But then God also writes things very specific ways. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. So the hearing has to come from a very specific word. It's not any word. Once again, it's not what I think. It's the revealed word of God must come out of a man or a woman and then it must be heard and then the one that hears gets sight. And if I can see it, then I'm no longer living by natural sight. I'm living by faith. And see, when we've made faith to be something that's really empty and blind, and hopeful, wishful thinking, that's not faith, that's futility. That's flesh's version. Faith is strong, knowing, overcoming. You overcome how? By emptiness or by full power. You see, that's what you're looking at. Ah, receive that through the Spirit. That promise is the word of Christ. That word revealed in me is power. That power in me enables me to overcome. It's all a position of strength. It's not believe it by faith and hope it happens. It's I know it. So take your best shot, Satan. See what I mean? Can you see what motivates this? Out of this comes the behavior. Out of that 
comes the demonstration, not out of this empty shell, and now I'm trying to live. No, the armor is on, and it's growing, and it's never taken off. It says, put Christ on, then Christ wants to form himself in you. So if that happens, you've got the impenetrable barrier on the inside of your heart and mind. So as he walked, you walk. You're a son of heaven with a heavenly call as a people group. Then you'll go about your individual lives, but you're still connected to one another. Questions? Do you want to do questions at table or do you want to do this? I'm aware it's 6.40. What would you guys prefer? Roy's up for this. Yep, okay. Um, you might have to ask Ian. <laughs> I'll try and articulate where I'm kind of going here. but um, So what I heard when Noel was um, sharing on the panel whenever that was, a couple of weeks ago, um, is that receiving the implanted word, hearing and obeying are one posture um, that through through that divine work then we're able to live differently. Um, I'm wondering, like just thinking about my own journey, when a God has asked me to, to do certain things, um, I find that that is part of, can be part of the journey in breaking things down so like obeying what he's saying to unlock um, I don't know what the word is there to unlock something (laughs) Um, can you talk about what the process is um, what the link is between obedience um, or unlocking really is is the word unlocking hearing faith etc the connection for me is in that is faith and trust. Okay, so obedience is a massive key. Okay, so we are called to obey, full stop. You don't go, well, you know what, I'm waiting to try to come into this life before I'll obey. Okay, so the ultimate that you, we want to hit is obedience is motivated through receiving love and activated by faith. That is the number one area that God wants to get every one of us to. Okay, So everything I'm doing, when I hear him say do something, comes from a motivation of love, because I've received love, and it's activated through what I'm looking at and what I know. That is the mature position, and you want to be getting that more and more and more. If I'm not in that, okay, then I still need to obey. So obedience then comes from discipline, Okay, so it's motivated through discipline, activated by trust. That's the second tier. So that would be what I would describe and you're describing. I'm not yet necessarily in hearing and obeying that's come from this position of fullness, but I've been asked to obey something. So I'm obeying out of discipline. God has said do it. I need to do it. I don't sit there and go, well, I'm waiting for love to be revealed, God, because part of that gets you into that first tier. Okay? So I go, okay, I've got to go give Amy $100. 
not feeling that. Don't sense that. I might be fighting that. I I was going to spend that hundred dollars on, you know, getting a tattoo. <laughs> and I go, hmm, you know. And so now, no, okay, you've said it. I do it, and I do it by trust. Now there can be an activation in that by trust that actually God uses it to reveal in me level one, okay? Because honor me, I honor you. So those are the two. That's the two that defines obedience. If I'm not in that, I'm in disobedience. So if God says do it, and I go, no, I'm going to wait. That's disobedience. So you're wanting to transition into that maturest position where it's now. Your obedience is just, of course, I'm so in love and growing in love and I'm seeing faith and I'm in more faith. And so I remember Dave um, McCracken saying this, is maturity is the gap between hearing and obeying. You'll know how mature you are between the gap or how mature you're becoming. And so that's the key to that. So it's... Obedience is motivated from love, activated through faith. Obedience, second tier, is motivated through discipline, activated by trust, and then it's disobedience. It's a good question. I know I'm a bit, I might be able to answer it. Don't know. That, that's, I guess everybody's individual call. What I do know is this, slightly different context, is that you can see signs and wonders, miracles, you can have God heal, and it all happen external of you and still not choose him. So the challenge is the supernatural has to get in you. So that's Peter. Peter walks on water, he casts out demons, but he still denies Christ in the moment of the challenge and the trial. So I remember saying this years ago. I remember saying to God, you know, my older brother, I said, man, he's seen me. He knows me. He's seen what I've gone through. He sees the change, the transformation. He came when, you know, they laid hands on me and and set me in here. And I said, God, why doesn't he become a full-on disciple when his brother that he grew up with I said, I said, he's seen it. You know what he said to me? He said, Greg, I came to your life here, 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 and here. He hasn't had that. You had that, and you still didn't choose me. He said, until I enter into a person, they can see miracle after miracle after miracle. That's what the Israelites were saying. Give us another miracle. Give us another miracle. Give a, They were justifying it away. Until I enter into you, doesn't matter. So you can have lights in your rooms. You can have third heaven revelations. Until you are pierced on the innermost being place, you will live for you.
I don't know. That would be your call as far as Roy's question. <laughs> Anything else? I'll just read this statement while maybe you're thinking. Just in the notes it says, For us to know the full extent of God's eternal purpose and live for it, we need to be able to see what is right in front of us through the spiritual hearing of the word of God. We don't create anything. We don't dream it up. We don't build anything. It's not something that is just for us as an individual. It's not our calling or our destiny. It's his calling for his church. And this is a common lie that's been shared that is partly true but not the whole truth. And so when you ask a lot of Christians, and trust me, I've asked a lot of Christians on this journey, most Christians think the will of God is something individualistic for them. Have you been taught this? You need to find the will of God for your life. It's like God has this purpose for you and you alone. Now, there is a part truth to it, but it's not the whole truth. I think Vera said it before. The journey that we go on is different. There may be similarities. You may find people that have actually gone down the exact path as you and you can relate while it's still different to all these other people, but you all arrive at the same point with the same understanding. So God uses our backgrounds, our experiences, our hurts, our pains, and he takes it all, but we actually all find one another. Now the problem is we've been taught that there is this individualistic ministry and purpose that God has. And what that does, it sets you on this journey of looking, and it's all about you. And his big plan, which is about his people, goes under the radar for you. And for most people, because people say, I still don't know what the will of God is. I go, why not? For it's written. And we think it's this mystery. It's like it's right in front of you. And we're back to this word again. Trina came up to me and said, is the word deranged? And she explained what it was, and I thought, well, that's sort of half of it. It's crazy. The word deranged, it's like you're out of your mind, but you don't realize you are. And it's like, what is the will of God for my life? It's like, I don't know, what is God's will? See the subtleness of that? And yet when you discover his will, you discover your purpose. It's to fall in love with him. No, no, that's not what it's about. It's about a functional purpose of reaching these people over here. Well, that's part of it, but that's not the number one. But see, when you're taught there's this individual thing that you all need to find because you're going to be the latest musician, and you're going to write CDs and albums, then your whole pursuit, and that can be right. Okay, I call it micro-temporal prophecy, but it's connected to the eternal. But then you completely don't hear anything that doesn't relate to that. So 
So all you're interested in is me, 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 me. How's that going to profit me? How's that going to profit me? And you're going, actually, there's another gift in there of a prophet. And it may come out through music or it may be for hospitality, but you're not even interested in serving the body because all you're interested in is becoming the next greatest musician in the kingdom. It's both. But you must be part of a body first because that's the pattern. You can't just be this lone ranger out there going, well, I'm an evangelist. Who cares about everyone else? I'm going to do my own thing because no one wants to reach the lost. I get all the tension. You've got a gift in you that needs to come out. And there's resistance in the house because people don't want to actually be evangelistical. And you're going, I don't even like the Christians because they don't even like people. But actually you're bent out of shape too because you don't want to run with the apostle and the prophet and the teacher and the pastor. You want to run on your own because you want to do your own thing, but you're not letting him define your gifting, which is his gifting given to you. You said you've got to give back. Otherwise it buries you. <laughs> See the plan? It's beautiful. And so this remains a mystery to most Christians. Most Christians have zero concept of the eternal purpose. Do you know the book of Ephesians is written to explain the eternal purpose? All the major themes of God are in Ephesians. That's why we did a whole year on the book of Ephesians. (laughs) Did you hear it? Did you know it? Are you living from it? What did you get from it? Because we're going to go back and over and over and over. Paul said it does me no harm to share with you again the things that are written because it's a safeguard for you all. So you don't wander off to the other park looking for your individual purposes Outside of Christ. It's a common problem, guys, and God has been addressing it here for a very long time. But it doesn't mean it's being addressed as a whole. I had a conversation at the table about three weeks ago, and I just finished talking about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for the plans I have for you, see the Lord, are not for an individual. And then the person said to me, said, I'm only interested in my individual purpose that God has for me. That's all I'm looking for. Cool. Okay. You didn't hear anything. That's okay, but it's not because that's going to stop you connecting in here. How can you be of the kind that are going after that if you're of another kind? You'll just be an attendee. You'll be friends, but not family. And that's cool, but we want family, don't we? I want everyone to be a family member. Everybody taking ownership and responsibility for becoming Christ-like. Not for function, becoming Christ-like. Because if I know that, we'll all be doing function. We'll love people, love one another. The place would be banging full. Everyone's looking for love. Everyone's looking for family. There's so much dysfunction, but there's dysfunction here. And that's okay, but he wants to heal the broken heart. And he wants to actually share with you something that's so divinely big and outside of your capacity. Because if you can understand it, then who wants that God? But you can know it through revelation. And I'm watching people. I look at Melissa. She is not the same person that I work with. We had clashes, didn't we? She said, I remember you saying, I hate Paul's letters. 
I'm going, that's a little bit of a problem, Melissa. I didn't tell her that, though. Because <laughs> he wrote most of the book. And I've watched Melissa just wrestle with this stuff, and Jeremy, but I'll just speak for Melissa, and wrestle, and wrestle, and then... And now she's being a voice. And in prayer meetings, she actually articulates what God is doing here in an alignment to what he's doing. And I hear the word come out. And it's a word of substance. And so she's demonstrating. She's been humble. She's actually repented in front of you guys. It's amazing. And it's happening in our lives. Chantal and Joseph. When I met them, the work had already been started in them. They're talking a language. You know what this guy said to me? He said, I don't know if you remember this. He said, you wouldn't be liked by many leaders, would you? I said, how does he know that? Like, how does he know that? He doesn't even mean it, but how does he know that? Because this word starts to divide. I didn't come here for peace. I came to build a people of spirit. And it's not like we're not better. I'm not better than anyone. Man, sin is the worst camp. Put your hand up. Here you are. But we have to work all this out in spirit, not in flesh, which means we've all got to come empty, like literally empty. You've got to get, if Jesus had to be emptied, do you think you have to be emptied? You have to come before the throne of grace, naked, knowing nothing outside of revelation. So if you've got revelation, bring that. If you don't have that, just come empty. And don't fight or go, well, I know this and I know that. Because flesh and blood, if it revealed it to you, it ain't of heaven. And nothing you're going to bring is of any eternal worth. So just bring you. And bring your humility of spirit because he wants to build us as a father would raise up a church out of the earth, which humility is the first attitude of not knowing and can't know and can't do. He goes, now you're ready. That's why he picked fishermen, because he knew they had no idea. It was going to be a lot harder work working with the Sanhedrin. And look what happened. He was right. They killed him. He had a shot with the fishermen, because they only had a certain amount of knowledge. It still got them in trouble, though, didn't it? We found the Messiah. John, come and find the one. We found the Messiah. The scriptures talk about. Do you know who this guy is? Well, how come you were just saying he was the Messiah? So now how you care who he is? Hearing what I'm saying? How can you know one minute he's the Messiah, then you're asking him who is this guy? Because you only have a mental understanding of scriptures. You don't know the person. You only know the principle. That isn't going to cut it, and it didn't cut it, did they? So they had informational knowledge of words on a page to a measure. The other guys had massive amount of word knowledge, which got them in trouble. They were both getting in trouble, but the fishermen only knew a little. Still got them in trouble, though. Who is this man? Why did Jesus have to ask the disciples who he was? What did Jesus know that they didn't know? Who he was. But they said, you're the Messiah. Don't listen to everything what people say. Discern what they say. People will tell you a whole lot of stuff they think they know, and then they might know nothing. And if you believe that and take that as the gospel, then you've just been hoodwinked by someone who also doesn't know. Blind leads the blind. 
See how you've got to be able to hear the word? And nine times out of ten, it doesn't sound like what's going to be natural. It'll sound the opposite if it's the word. See, when you look in the natural, oh, yeah, man, that must be it. Looks right, sounds right, acts right. It may be. But you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear in the unseen. So I've got natural eyes, natural ears to hear and see in this realm. I've got spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to understand in the realm I'm actually from. So we're all citizens from another realm living on earth who have been commissioned with a heavenly calling because we're seeing and knowing we've been granted to know the mysteries. What do you do with that? You speak. Because it's no longer a mystery. It's a known reality. And then everyone has the opportunity to hear and step into. So it's an entire process of growing, isn't it? And none of us know the full deal. So we're always learning. But we don't want to be always learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. See the difference? Come to me and learn, but there's actually another side where you can always be learning and never coming to the knowledge of whose truth? The person. So you can know all the principles under the sun and not know the person, which means you've got no life, but you know the principle. It is 7.02. I didn't want to go over. Anyone want to ask one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> he always waits to the end. I love this guy. No, you're fine, bro. No, I was just, oh, I was just going through um, Galatians 2, and I don't even know if this has any relevance to anything, but uh, we'll just, we'll just, Go off, we'll just go off there um, There was something you said about like um, Actually no actually, I'll just jump to the passage And you'll see how this just ties in Because man it's just This passage has always bothered me um, Personally um, Because it's like Everything you everything you guys have been saying Is there's just the, there's, there's the sound of heaven But it's like When I read chapter 2 of Galatians It's like What on earth happened there like what happened between Peter and Paul? Like, and obviously Paul was in the right, Peter was in the wrong, because Peter was cre- in, a, in a sense he was creating division, and there should have been no division among the between the Gentiles and the Jews. And so Paul says, "Mate, you're to be blamed." And he and he, and he said and he did this to his face. So he said, "Mate, you're to be blamed." Because you're creating this division, and this is Peter. So this is Paul, and this is Peter. So I'm just, I just thought I'd like some light shit on that. Yeah, cheers, bro. Yeah, sweet man. <laughs> That's cool. Comes back to um, Roy's question about being made perfect and being on the journey of tr- growth and maturity. So Peter hasn't arrived. Peter's confronted with this fear of man aspect. Okay. So he's afraid of man, which Galatians 1.11, Paul said, we're not supposed to, if we're going to be bond servants, we're not supposed to be afraid of men. So what you're seeing is Paul is in a greater maturity than Peter. 
and it's a beautiful teaching, correcting moment where one who are both apostles but one is more mature than the other wants to help his brother who's actually in a form of hypocrisy. And there are other people watching this thing as well. So Peter is afraid of his fellow Jew. So he's hanging out with the Gentiles. Hey, we're all good. Then let's say, I don't know, Bob, Harry and Fred turn up. Oh my goodness, what are they going to think of me? Now I'm going to actually be a hypocrite and shift. And Paul sees that. And he goes, what are you doing? That's very confusing for everybody, and that is anti-Christ right now. So he then corrects him in love, but it's in front of everybody. Sometimes that's what has to happen, you know, because actually one man's decision is going to influence a lot of people in this room. So I've got to make this, but this is the challenge, eh? Because can't speak for Peter's sake, but when you're in Christ, that's okay because you're actually not so much worried about yourself and it needs to happen so other people don't get hoodwinked. So when you're securing yourself, it's okay because it's not about you, it's about others and you also being corrected. So Paul has to correct Peter for his hypocrisy, but ultimately Peter is in the fear of man and what these people think because he's eating with Gentiles. But this is the same Peter that God used to go preach to the Gentiles. And all it is is a picture of maturity and growth and no one has arrived. So don't look at these people and think they are saints of saints and they are unattainable. They are just human beings like you and I who struggle with the issues that you and I have, but the more that they are in Christ, the more they can live is what you're seeing. So Paul, who was in Christ to a greater measure than Peter, helps his brother out, everyone else that's on the scene, but he runs the risk of not being liked. He's being a peacekeeper or a peacemaker. Who's being the peacekeeper? Who's being the peacemaker? It all could have gone wrong for Paul. Who do you think you are? I'm an apostle too. It's not his response, is it? Galatians 2. So that's what I take from that. I just see a man in process. I see people in process. I see another man come to help his brother and other people from a greater level of sight and maturity, covering. It's beautiful. All right, well, hope that's helpful. Um, next week we're going to hit, as you'll see, the end and start from the end. And you might be going, man, if we only just started, well... <laughs> It's not linear, <laughs> it just thinks circular, okay? Have a good week, guys.